Welcome to another episode of the Wrinkled Rapper Podcast. As always, I'm Bill Borowski. I'm Edward Rubel. I'm Jason Snyder. And I'm Drew Erler. And this week we are talking about an Igmar Bergman classic. It is Persona and it is a Drew pick. So Drew, tell us about the Six Degrees and how we are connected from last week's movie. Oh shit, I forgot about it again. Uh, montage Effect. There, you, there go. you go. I got it. Um, yeah, so this one was actually surprisingly easy. So, Montage of Heck was directed by the guy who... Brett Morgan. Yeah, yeah, Brett Morgan. And the interview format that he uses in the movie, I guess it was unique in some way, but he was inspired by a film called Lenny, starring Dustin Hoffman. This movie, Lenny, was produced by United Artists, and United Artists happens to be the production company responsible for Persona's first U.S. run. Ah, and Persona is obviously wow. the movie that we're talking about today. Connecting Bob Fosse in there. I, I love to yeah. see it. But Drew, why did you choose Persona for us to talk about this week? I chose the, the movie because I had watched it all the way back in. I checked my letterbox in 2018 and I wrote my review. I said, I was, I was talking about watching it again like the next day, but I never did. And I've never rewatched it since I watched it, even though I had acknowledged the fact that I definitely needed to because it was on the precipice of being like one of the greatest things um, I had ever seen up to that point. It had also been one of the most daunting movies that I had ever seen in terms of like making sense of it. I had been scared about that going into it. Uh, watching it the first time and then those fears were confirmed but I knew that this would be a good place to get a rewatch because you get a free discussion with it and I knew that uh, none of you had seen it so that's always a plus I have seen two Ingmar Bergman movies one Smiles of a Summer Night which was like our third episode or something and Seventh Seal I enjoyed Smiles of a Summer Night, but I absolutely adored Seven Seal. Seven Seal is probably one of the, like, I mean, people talk about the Seven Seal uh, on how it's like one of the greatest movies of all time, and it, there's a reason for that. And I've been wanting to dive more into Ingmar Bergman's work. I was thinking of trying to do like a week kind of like binge of all this stuff. Did not have time to do that, but I was very excited to see this. I had been wanting to see it for a very long time because it is also one of the most influential movies ever made arguably one of if not Igmar Bergman's most popular and critically acclaimed work and I can see why and you warned me that the movie made you stupid when you first watched it and it sure as hell made me stupid when I was watching it I kind of went in completely blind and as soon as the first five minutes happened I was like okay it's gonna be one of those all right let's just ride it out but I absolutely loved it I'm not the biggest fan of what I've seen for a lot of French New Wave stuff, but it takes everything I love about French New Wave cinema and kind of like it does its own thing with it. And doing a little bit of research, it's kind of like uh, almost like the one-two punch. And it, it was also funny to kind of realize that this kind of came a little bit later in his career. Like he had done a bunch of movies, including Seventh Seal and like Wild Strawberries and stuff like that 
before this and this feels like a radical new filmmaker kind of like taking the helmet being like i'm doing whatever the fuck i want but instead it's the seasoned pro pretty much being like okay let's try something new and completely changing the art form into something that is absolutely astounding and still resonates and inspires people to this day most of the things that uh the filmmakers of like the the 90s kind of that school did that a lot of people thought were cool ingmar bergman has kind of dabbled in the box set that criterion release has 40 movies in it and as the way they're organized like they're not exactly chronological but they're roughly chronological and as it progresses you see him just like understanding the medium better and better and better and he's able to do all these absolutely insane things and i haven't watched all of his movies but of all of them that i've watched persona is like none of the others um it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere in terms of like what he had even focused on in his previous well thematically it's similar but in terms of how he'd structured his other movies unprecedented in the history of cinema and in his own career and when you, when you mentioned the first five minutes, I think it's funny because the first time I watched the movie, I was thinking, I was like, is this what the whole movie is? I was like, this? I was getting ready is, for that. Yeah. I don't even know what to do. Um, and luckily, it kind of settles into a narrative. I was watching. I was reminded of three films. Actually, we've talked about all three of them, which is perfect. Um, Mulholland Drive, obviously, for the female characters. Portrait of a Lady on Fire for mm. the isolation and also the character relationships. Um, and also The Lighthouse. A adding that movie into the mix um, kind of shakes up uh, a little bit of the the type of things that you would lean into more of like gender and whatnot just to throw a couple more weird relationship characters in there. But also for the isolation again and that kind of off-putting psychological horror feeling that you get from this movie i was reminded of so much that i had already seen while watching this movie that i think it's right up there with eight and a half on those films that are just like so massively influential that you can't watch it and not see things you've already watched but at their origin essentially which is even cooler from what i've read about <sighs> American the 60s it was like this and breathless were like the two movies and also like for the 400 blows were like the, the like the triple threat of like international cinema kind of infiltrating the American consciousness and becoming showing that films can be like high art basically and you can do these much bigger things with them because I mean I, I'm sure we've talked about it on many many a time when we talk about kind of like older Hollywood type films it was almost like you were watching a film version of a play you never really went inside the interior kind of complexities of a character you never really got put in their shoes in the way persona kind of does where you even like you have even a bit of meta in there getting cuts to like actual camera work and like camera operators like floating through the frame it's just kind of hard to imagine like how would how did people react when this like first came out? Cause 
uh, compared to anything that came out in the early 60s when they were doing still doing big sweeping like musicals that were like five hours long and cost like a shitload of money and you have this that is like the complete other end of the spectrum it, it's almost like you open your eyes to being like i never knew you could even do this it like it just proves in my mind that american thinking our culture was still a baby like we're like toddlers making movies about toddler things and then in sweden they're making adult like big big boy movies and even but even when you compare this movie to something like breathless this is breathless much, is much such a student film like it does yeah. it does well well, well Bre- breathless is like a whole other discussion <laughs> well and i understand why it's just an interesting case study because they're both movies that did like things radically and that's why they made waves in the u.s but the way that they made radical changes to the traditional structure were different and that's why persona holds up way more than a movie like breathless does persona is the most gorgeous black and white movie ever shot in my opinion i watched it yesterday and i cannot think of a better looking black and white movie and it came out in what 67 66 62 62 maybe the u.s run was 67 let me look I think that's part of the reason I was reminded of The Lighthouse, just because the technology had been so far updated that they were able to make a black and white film yeah. look 66. kind of old, but also modern at the same time. But even still, like, Bre- uh, um, Persona is just fucking untouchable. <laughs> yeah, no. And this is where I, like thank god that foundations like the criterion uh channel and the janice films exist to restore these beautiful beautiful films and that could have easily been lost in time but you just do to, to the damage of negatives and stuff because i i mean i have a criterion channel subscription so i watched like a few bonus features and stuff where you had people like paul schrader and stuff talking about persona but just the like the crispness Mm -hmm. of the image and just even how Ingmar Bergman is just so famous for the way he shoots faces and every single like close-up is just immaculate and it could have it could have been shot yesterday like the oh yeah crispness and like it looks like film photography from to like from the current era so I don't know if like the technology just has kind of been perfected by that point and they've been you know making small tweaks since then but the crispness of the image has always been there it's just that only now have we gotten to the point where like we can have that image be reach its full potential mm. and like e- even like trans translating stuff from film to digital and like kind of the film restoration restoration process it's like it's a whole thing because if you look into any kind of video where they go into the process of what it takes to even convert film to digital or even like restore an old negative it is a lot of work Mm -hmm. and it's greatly underappreciated and that's why we're able to enjoy movies like this and eight and a half and a face in the crowd and like night of the hunter a bunch of these other amazing works or m 
which came out in 1932, which easily could have been lost in time. There are so many movies we have lost just because film wasn't kept and preserved in the way that it should have been and it has been kind of been has been over the past 25 years with this new kind of initiative, I guess. Whenever we watch any of these old movies, I always think of the uh, Restorationists, and I'm always like, you are doing God's work, preserving these things for generations to come. Because they're going to see it as people saw it in 1966. Yeah, it's kind of like non-profit groups. Criterion does it too. Criterion, like will restore a bunch of stuff um janice i i don't i don't really really know specific foundations or names off the top of my head i know martin scorsese is the martin scorsese world cinema project where he has a foundation and that's mainly about preserving the art uh a bunch of international films um a lot of like um film schools kind of do that too they help out i know you ucla has a massive film archive and they kind of help preserve stuff so it's a bunch of different things and it's something that isn't really talked about because i mean we, we we're in the age of streaming where we just click on something and we watch it and it had to get we had to get it from somewhere and at some point streaming is going to go away or like god forbid something's going to happen but the old negative is still going to be there it's still going to be there if it's preserved properly and that thing will like continue to be there as like a historical artifact and i can't imagine like getting your hands on like almost like finding treasure like oh this is like an original negative from 1966 of persona like, imagine just stumbling upon that as, like, discovering, like, lost gold or something like that. Yeah. And let's just, like, imagine how someone from the 60s would, like, say they saw the movie and were trying to describe it to someone who had literally never, like, was there even, I don't know, it's not even like you could you could say, like, you know, it's one of those art house movies like this, <laughs> yeah. like that, exactly. They're like, okay, it starts with, like, there's a kid in front of a giant face of like a woman and he's like, he wears glasses and like there's a spider and there's a penis at the beginning. Someone's getting crucified. Yeah. It's like a guy getting a, a, a nail in his hand and then the movie starts and the movie's about these two women, women, but they're like one woman and or are they <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like once an actress in in the movie and also in real life and the person's like okay like this means absolutely nothing to me have um, you seen this little art film unshan yeah. andalou that's the first five minutes and then it becomes somewhat of a narrative <laughs> but not really uh, just go watch it <laughs> which speaking of let's get kind of like into into the movie itself yeah like what the movie's about for one thing because i'm like i have my like new they're pretty much first thoughts again since i can't remember what my original thoughts were if i had any but i'm interested to hear since it's everyone's first first watch like where your heads are at in terms of what it means yeah well i thought jason uh bringing up portrait of a lady on fire was a pretty good uh if you're going to have a comp, like if you're going to compare it to something, at least um, with the whole 
relationship between the two of them. Just like at a very basic level, the fact that you have two women who seem to be at very different places in their lives. Um, and you find out that there's things that are more similar to them than what you would originally think. And then just generally, again, the idea that like the way that people view you in the world um, is makes up very little of what you are. Hence the name Persona of the movie, I guess. <laughs> um, again, but I mean, that's really like in broad strokes. Um, my takeaway from it, uh, there's just so many other th- like elements to this, like the constant emphasis on like film itself, and you know the fa- like like a re- constant reminder that like this is a movie sort of thing, like the film, like the film, the other frame like burning out, the projector burning out an emphasis on hands in the movie. Like there's just so many little things that it was so hard to piece together uh, for this, especially in just like a couple hours after watching it. But yeah, that's pretty much where my head is at right now. Just confused (laughs) generally. I mean, I, I, it's kind of like Edward says, I I really think it's just, um, it's about the, the, performance of ourselves that we show to other people and then who we really are when we're alone and i feel like at the most fundamental level i think that's what it's about and it's just really kind of opening up and it's an examination of what really makes a person who they are their faults their mistakes their deepest secrets and it just kind of feels like one long therapy session of someone just unloading everything about themselves and trying to work through of with why am I the way I am. One other thing too, because I did the one part of this I did rewatch afterwards was that like five minute opening, uh, just to see if there was like anything in there that I had missed. Not super successful, but the one thing that, that stood out that I didn't realize obviously like you know, on the first viewing was that like when the title comes up and it's flashing between like different images, most of it is like flashing between the boy and um, vulgar. So that tells me, obviously there's some sort of connection between the two of them. The only like young boy that she is related to or that like is mentioned, it's related to her as her son. So I don't know if that's the connection that's trying to draw, but there's definitely, I mean, that would be one area where if I'm rewatching this, like totally want to hone in on that. And Jason, I know you still haven't spoken yet, but I know that's one area I'm hoping Drew uh, has some insight on having chewed on this for a little bit. Yeah. One of the things I found very intriguing while watching was the constant references or direct pointing to like vampiricism and this idea of like draining another person and at first i was like because it it comes up in the very beginning of the film uh they cut to a few like old-timey slides of monster movies and a vampire appearing and chasing people and i actually have spoken with a few people recently about vampires um and they were telling me about how uh people theorize that vampires exist as like real people not necessarily blood-sucking people there's this thing called like a soul vampire or an emotional vampire and what they do is they don't feed on blood they feed on 
people's literal souls um, and their emotions. And I think that throughout the movie, uh, it's heavily alluded to that Elizabeth is a soul vampire. She is this deep, murking darkness, uh, lurking darkness inside of um, Alma. And Alma comes into the movie very happy, very bubbly, and then slowly she's just eaten away at by this silent killer, literally silent. And I do think that it is Alma or Elizabeth looking into themselves. I haven't quite landed on who I think is the real representation or the more truthful representation of the character, but I do think that they are designed to look into each other and pull things out of each other. And specifically, I was thinking about the few moments where Elizabeth uh, actually speaks, um, which I thought was very interesting, especially pairing this with like psychology and whatnot, persona literally being a psychological term. But the few times that she speaks, there is alcohol involved, which is a common time for people to become vulnerable. Um, and then fear when she's almost covered in boiling water. Uh, and then finally, we get to the final time she speaks, which feels like this genuine opening up. Um, but the only thing she says is nothing. Literally, she says the word nothing, which I haven't thought much into yet. I just like the idea that the only vocalizations from this silent character come out of either forced vulnerability or earned vulnerability, uh, like at the end when we have that confrontation. But I, I, I do think in totality it's a story of someone's own essentially split persona uh, being faced with itself. Do you think that... Um it being like a split personality um, kind of deal. Do you think it's in a mental illness kind of way or in like a, this is the chaos that lurks inside of all of us kind of way? At least to me, I think it's, it blurs the lines where I really think you can interpret it as either or, but at least for me, I feel like it's once we get to like the, the, the cabin, it it really becomes like isolation and i really think it becomes almost metaphysical where it's not like a whole split personality disorder where it's really like we're going inside her mind basically or at least maybe not inside her mind but at least it's we're seeing her thought process between this silent observer almost yeah i mean if you think about in psychology um there tends to be this traditional split in the mind. A lot of psychologists will split it between like ego and id, and they'll add superego. So I do think there are these different components in the brain at work. And this is Ingmar Bergman trying to clearly define for himself where this interaction occurs. Um, and it can only occur in isolation because like they point to in the movie, amongst people we we change like even if we 
don't mean to. And I think the story with Katarina kind of points to that a little bit. Because um, I don't think Alma, at least to me watching the movie, it didn't come across to me that Alma would be that spontaneous on her own. She wouldn't look for experiences like an orgy. I think she was kind of influenced into that decision because she had someone else there that she was probably slightly fond of. Well, maybe that points to Alma being the real person who's inventing Elizabeth because, you know, who's to say that Katarina wasn't an invention that she created in order to indulge her dark fantasy? Yeah, I I definitely thought thought that as a read because... It's kind of one of those things where, like, we never see Katarina, but even if we did see her, Alma's not the most reliable of narrators or protagonists or viewpoint characters. So I I think that at least me, uh, when I watched that scene, I kind of saw it as that because, I mean, there are just so many visually it, Bergman just plays with the idea of kind of reflections and just kind of like mirror images. I mean, we have that scene at the very end where they repeat the same exact conversation, exactly mirrored both in dialogue and the entire image is like flipped the second time. And of course the iconic image of like the, their two faces uh, merging into one and stuff like that. So I, I definitely think you're kind of right on the money on maybe she, Katarina wasn't even a real person and it was just this figment to maybe allow her to go to this place in her mind or at least in herself that she normally wouldn't be able to access or even a deflection of guilt um yeah because she obviously was upset with the whole situation to go back to what Edward said about or was asking about the opening sequence like the main thing that i was trying to figure out regarding the opening sequence and like the two women um their relationship to the boy and to the opening sequence itself i was mostly thinking about the the screen that the boy's in front of and he puts his hand in front of because that's an obscured like it's an obscured face, so you don't know exactly who it is. But by the end of the movie, I thought that it was Alma, just you know, based on the look of it in its blurred way. I thought, you know, that's the boy is Alma's unborn child. But then you like talking about the way that the boy's face and Elizabeth's face are like contrasted um makes me think that you know that's just another piece of evidence drawing the connection between the two of them yeah i saw the boy as that boy on the beach maybe uh i i I don't know i mean i i don't remember the face in the picture too well but does that boy is the boy the same as it's a it's like a toddler that is given or no yeah, so I I think it might be the boy on the beach because I really think the the opening and the ending is like the closest we get to like that is literally like we're seeing kind of just guilt memories whatever it may be this kind of vision of what's going on in her head and I think that boy is that boy on the beach that where it's that guilt is always gonna kind of be there 
and it's kind of like her her secret that she's never really told anyone and it's eating her up inside and right away we pretty much get that's like the last thing we get before the title card and i think that means something because i mean it's 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 like the second after it's like isn't it right after the image kind of like i think so blurs and then we cut to title i would actually argue for the opposite that it could be his could be her son just because alma's story about the son is that she tried so hard to get rid of it and then finally i think she said that she or she did she fail with the abortions when like alma's explaining her story to her failed tried and failed to abort but alma succeeded when she was telling her own story see that makes me believe that alma being the one harboring all this guilt is in denial about a lot of different things one of those things being that she has a son at all and the boy at the beginning is looking for this affection that he craves from his mother um but i believe the image is flipping between Mm. one or two or multiple different women's face the person changes yeah i thought it was the one where like it was the image of their two faces kind of morphed but well, either way, I think that also points to it potentially being their son. Um, because to me, the son is like a very crucial centerpiece to the entire story yeah. and the entire mental breakdown. And I think that as much as you like, as much as you want the whole boy on the beach thing in like our modern sensibilities to be like, that's really messed up that she like basically like raped this boy um back then i don't know if that's as like messed up of a thing in their eyes (laughs) like i don't know how they viewed like a child yeah yeah and imagine that scene made me very uncomfortable again like as an aside imagine in the 60s like hearing her describe and you're like is this happening in a movie that i'm watching right now it's like is she really saying sprayed his seed inside (laughs) me um but anyway like I don't like I don't know if that was as big of a deal back then as it is now in terms of like becoming a thematic centerpiece but also I think that the boy in the first 5 minutes being the unborn son looking at, at the screen at this like godlike vision of his mother obscured tracks with Alma's monologue at the end when she's saying like and you hated your baby and your son had this like undying love for you that you tried to fake and you tried to give back to him but like you absolutely could not and i think that that symbol of the boy like putting his hand on this blurred face of the mother like absolutely um matches like that description yeah it's almost as if saying that the pers the persona of alma couldn't confront the son she's loving she's literally a nurse she takes care of people yeah she couldn't bring that to her son her motherly nature so instead she sent this fake silent cold-hearted persona of elizabeth um to basically shun off her son exactly but what's so messed up about alma's i think that alma's the real person and um elizabeth is the 
persona or their projection just because like almost the one who gets onto the bus at the end of the movie um but like what's so messed up about her brain is the fact that her like projection of the version of her that didn't make the same mistakes that she did or didn't suffer the consequences of like her decisions is equally messed up like she failed to have the abortion and she gave birth to the son, but she hates the son. Um, so it's not like a perfect vision of what could have been or like the good version of herself. And then not only that, but also Jason, you said that Alma created Elizabeth to like hate her son for her. Um, Elizabeth, you know, has Alma to love her husband in a fake way for her. So like she's a projection ostensibly supposed to be like the good a good like version of her if you go by like what a projection should be but she's like just as complicated and just as screwed up as alma is <laughs> which is like such a not like i don't even know what to do with that well one of the things that i kept wondering about um that i thought would help me make sense of who I was leaning toward as like the real persona is trying to apply the profession to the real life person because I I really do think that having the whatever main character it is whether it's Alma or Elizabeth or whether it's a different person I do think having her be an actor in real life adds to her character and her struggle but i also think that having her be a nurse in her real life who breaks down and can't take care of people or starts pushing people away also adds to her real life character um so i struggled with that a lot after viewing the movie just because the whole idea of persona and an actor putting on a persona makes so much sense but it could also make a lot of sense in the subconscious uh, I have a fake actor inside me playing roles for me for the real world I also think that there's several like thematic things at play um and like I feel like Ingmar Bergman's like definitely saying very specific things through Alma about like the role that actors play in our society and like the escape of media and the way that that comes back to make us feel terrible about ourselves and our own lives. Um, and that, that stuff like that stems from his decision to make her an actor is like not separate, but also separate. It doesn't like give as much or add as much meaning to the whole, like who's the real and who's fake, even though I feel like it still does. Like it's a, it's a hard, it's hard to parse apart like what, like what does what gives meaning to this theme? What gives meaning to this theme? Are things doing double duty? I'm also curious as to why we spend the beginning of their relationship and they're meeting each other in a hospital room and then they're off to this beach house and then the last interaction they have is in the hospital room but then Alma goes and leaves the beach house to get on a bus. So it's almost like this backwards telling of location. Mm -hmm. um, but it 
I think that is meant to add to this idea that the beach house is complete isolation. It's not even accessible to other people. This is literally going on inside the mind of a person. And to me, Alma getting on the bus, I want to say it to me, it means that she's the real person. But I'm also thinking about the fact that it could just be the brain deciding, okay, this person is better. Let's send them to the surface and make them make all our decisions from here on out. Yeah. So, Drew, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. I think I know. I think you know what the question is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have a letterbox review by chance? I do. All right. I found one earlier well, today. Oh, you did? Sweet. Yeah. Well, I think it's that time for a little segment we like to call... Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's a segment where we pick a letterbox review, we read it, we it gives us the flip side, usually the more negative side of the per- perception we're talking about today. And we give our counterpoints and are just urged to give it another chance or another watch. So Drew, give us this week's review. Okay. Um, this person's four favorite movies are A Separation, There Will Be Blood, City of God, and Citizen Kane. Um, they gave Persona two and a half stars. And according to their little rating guide in their bio, two and a half stars means mediocre. Uh, and this is what they had to say about the movie. A movie about conflicting personalities and the struggle to examine who is in deeper psychological pain. I think that's the gist, but honestly, Persona has quite a lot going on underneath the hood. It's a movie that feels utterly daunting to examine, yet still has very real and easy to relate with human elements. While the emotions may be relatable, I am not calling them completely understandable. Persona chooses to examine what makes a person push on, what moments they remember as important, and what fears keep them from operating. With only two characters, the film starts with its focus on the mute and slowly changes its study to the rambler. It asks the audience to decide who is the real study, who is the real human. It never once holds your hand, and yet is still engrossing thanks to several very well-written monologues. However, the movie has several moments of unexplained abstractness and becomes self-aware for no reason. It also is not engaging in the slightest. The camera work and editing are top-notch, being one of the most beautiful black-and-white movies I've ever seen. This movie fits into that special category of films with the likes of Mulholland Drive and Stalker. That category consistently seems to be one that I do not enjoy, but I am able to appreciate. Movies that I recognize aren't bad, but that I just do not enjoy. And after watching a movie like this, I usually avoid other particularly artful films for a bit to clear my mind. Well, I'm glad it wasn't a like movie make-no-sense movie bad review well, yeah the bad um, reviews it, were mean, like not talk aboutable so yeah no i mean it seems like they got it and it was just another case of at least they understood that it, it's like okay this isn't for me but i respect it and i more so than probably anyone <laughs> on here that has had that same argument for probably a few movies we've talked about and yeah, I, I totally get what they're talking about. I still don't know what the surrealism uh, moments are really, really mean. 
they worked for me at least because I was able to draw some kind of connection to the story as a whole. But it's just one of those things. If like that's just not your thing, you 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 said it yourself. It's not for you. You you know it. You you understand its craft and its uh its merits and it's it's one of those movies where like i'm glad you watched it i'm glad you gave it a chance now if you know you don't like you've seen it you can kind of move on but i think it's worth getting another glimpse just maybe a little bit down the road just to give it another chance maybe just now that you kind of have those ideas or perceptions in your head this is one of those movies where you're definitely going to get rewarded for a second or third or fourth or fifth viewing and maybe after a rewatch or two you'll you will enjoy it lord knows it's taken me like two or three rewatches for a movie to really kind of get my head around it so as someone who's been in your shoes a few multiple times before i really think like just kind of come back to it once in a while and slowly you'll probably get more and more at ease at it and you'll start to enjoy it more and more i'm just confused where this person says that it becomes abstract for no reason. Like, I think it's like the opening, opening and the ending. Yeah. I just, I don't know if this person has identified that one or both of the characters aren't entirely real. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's completely out of left field that other elements of the film would become a little less literal. You know, I, I don't know. I just think well, I think critique. that I think that they're referring to the portions late in the movie that, like, there's there's abstract portions at the beginning, but it's like symbolism that you could apply to the characters. But I think yeah. late in the movie, that's when you get into like the self-referential film specific yeah. stuff, and that's not like that. I can definitely see some people interpreting as like, oh, he's throwing in this whole other like criticism that doesn't necessarily have a place in this movie. Even though I think it's established from the very beginning with her A, being an actor and having a breakdown first time on stage. And then B, when she's watching the TV in her room and watches the monks like self-immolate. Um, I think like media and its effect on us and it it's like this movie itself being a piece of media totally warrants the self reference but i guess for some people it might not uh do we want to talk about the title at all i know jason kind of touched it on a little bit but i didn't know if he had some more in-depth thoughts as the title master because i feel like if anything this movie definitely deserves a little examination through that lens yeah well Um, i know that ingmar bergman was really into the video (laughs) game persona at the time he's a big weeb yeah yeah Yeah. he was like inspired he, he's more a fan of Persona 4. He kind of thought it went a little bit too far in Persona 5, but I kind of see where he's coming from, though. <laughs> I mean, to me, this is one of those titles that, like, a discussion of the film will kind of encompass the title. It is one of those perfectly named movies. I know we kind of brought up the definition of Persona, uh, it being this outward personality this outward character that um the rest of the world sees i think to me the most interesting part about that definition and taking that into where this entire story takes place 
is the isolation of it. Um, being that a persona is something other people take in, we kind of hinted at the idea of this being a singular mind trapped alone. But even that is interesting um, because it brings up this idea that we have a persona for ourselves. We have this, this character that we put on to please ourselves and to make ourselves feel a little bit better about us. And then sometimes we catch that persona. Uh, case in point, Alma reading the letter that Elizabeth had written about her. These self-judgments come up and this clash of self uh, ensues. So I think, to me, Ingmar Bergman takes the idea of persona and explores it in a way that hadn't really been thought of before, taking it inside the person rather than exploring it on the outside. It's almost like if, let's say, uh, King of Comedy was written entirely inside the head of Robert De Niro. Uh, this broken guy finally... So Joker. <laughs> well... No, absolutely not. <laughs> Dude, Joker was better than Persona. Let's be real. Joker's the greatest <laughs> movie ever made. I was just thinking today about how I want to rewatch it, like, actually. But anyway, <laughs> we've broken our streak. I swear to God, if someone puts that movie on the goddamn podcast, I'm going to lose we need my to have We need to have one of those signs, like... Days without a workplace Days without injury. Joker. It's like days without talking. <laughs> episodes without talking about Joker, the Rosetta Stone for all cinema. <laughs> well, when you say it like that, it makes it seem like a bad thing that we aren't talking about it. You know? I mean, we might be doing just what Alma's doing in this movie, denying some essential part of our being. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is movies before Joker and movies after Joker, guys. And this was sadly one of the movies before. <laughs> it automatically gets a half a tick down on my five-star rating. Which is automatically an F. Um, but to go back to what you were saying, um, Jason, I think like this movie definitely like takes takes the whole persona idea in a new direction by directing it inward instead of like outside looking in and that whole thing is compounded by the fact that it subverts our expectations of the like medical patient like m like medical staff relationship because like you're expecting if this is a movie about like split personalities or mental disorders that, like the doctor has it figured out or the nurse has it figured out but when you realize when the nurse like gets wrapped up in the whole thing, you're like, oh, no one's safe. No one knows what's going on. No one's going to be our voice of reason at all. Anything else? I don't think so. So I will go first for final thoughts, if unless anyone else wants to go. Persona. It's Ingmar Bergman. You're going to expect some form of greatness. I mean, come on. Uh, I was blown away by it. I definitely want to watch it again. Probably another time or two or three or four or five. And I feel like just like with uh, a bunch of movies we've kind of mentioned that we've seen this, its influence in countless works. Many movies we've talked about have definitely taken inspiration from it. 
uh, it's definitely one of the pillars of international and just cinema in general. While I feel like out of the three Igmar Bergman movies I, I've seen, this is definitely probably the best. I still prefer Seventh Seal because that just kind of like is more like my speed, I guess. I it has knights and shit. All right, it has it has say it has the Grim Reaper. It has knights. It has my all all my kind of interests. But Persona is great. It's definitely definitely worth a watch if you have any interest in film. I'll say the same thing about Eight and a Half. If you know it's not your speed, it's not your speed. Don't don't touch it. But if you have interest in film and just learning about its history and its impact and its influence, this is a must watch. And you will not regret it, hopefully, for watching it because there is just so much to mine and you will definitely be thinking about it for years to come. Interests include the Grim Reaper, <laughs> Knights. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Yeah. And lush uh, European landscapes. <laughs> Also, carnies. I love carnies. I love good. Uh, I love a good carny. The Seventh Seal was the only Actually, film. No, yeah. For you. <laughs> Those and, the Green Knight. and the yeah. Green Knight. And the Green Knight. I'll go next. Uh, when Drew said that this was his pick, I was actually expecting like a three-hour movie, just because anytime you hear Ingmar Bergman's name, <laughs> to me, you expect like an epic. Um, and I think Smiles of a Summer Night was like two and a half hours, if I remember. Um, I think it was like two twenty-eight. Maybe it felt like maybe it felt like <laughs> two and a half hours. But um, what is it? Wow, an hour forty-nine. Ah, <laughs> well, still yeah. to it's it always piques my interest a little when like such big name movies about seemingly difficult subjects are under an hour and a half and that to me just says that if there's already praise riding behind it that this filmmaker obviously fucking knows what they're doing and you know you're in for a treat and i definitely was in for a treat um this was beautiful to watch um the craftsmanship alone is amazing um i definitely want to check out more films by bergman because uh, i've only seen the ones that we've watched on the podcast but um but holy shit i freaking love this movie and so thank you drew <laughs> yeah i think that is a good point that you make that for somebody to get an idea across in like 80 minutes and in such an impressive both technical and storytelling way. Like they really need to have a good grasp of the concept and the craft. And it's all on, it's all on display here. Uh, and there's very few movies that I felt the need to like go back and re-examine a certain scene and, and just like more generally like watch a second time. Uh, and I think that sort of speaks to how, in, like massive this movie felt how like how much there was going on and this is just you know it, it's easy to appreciate everything uh that went into this i know that we talked about the whole black and white conversion as well there's the, there's just it seems like there's so many different levels that you can appreciate uh this movie on and 
uh, it makes sense like with all the different interpretations that you have of it too, uh, which is another thing that's also really impressive. Like you can actually have a good discussion and not really feel like there's a definitive answer out there still, uh, which is always cool to see uh, in a movie. So yeah, this one, this one really floored me. This one, this one was really good. Yeah. Bergman is like just on a different level. Like Persona is the most like ambitious of his films that I've seen so far. Um, but every single one, it's just like he's he's the master of every you know style that he decides to undertake. Whether it's like a full on art film like Persona, or like a period art film like um, The Seventh Seal, or like a domestic drama art film like scenes from a marriage which hbo max is redoing scenes from a marriage i don't really know how i feel about that but scenes from a marriage is like mind blowing mind blowing um and there's your four hour epic from amar bergman and fanny Um, and alexander yeah and fanny and alexander but um yeah he's definitely a filmmaker that's worth going into but specifically, Persona is just like, nothing like it. Nothing will ever be like it. I got exactly the discussion that I was hoping for today. I'm glad that everyone liked it. Well said, as always. And we don't need to spin the wheel this week because it's only, it's it's just not, it's not just Edward's it's crazy. pick. It's the last pick Ooh. of this batch. So, Edward, tell us how we're capping this off. Well, when you spin it like that, it makes me feel better because the first pick that I had was Everybody Wants Some because it made me feel like the beginning of summer. And so I wanted this one to feel like the end of summer as fate would have it. It's late September by the time this pick got across. Um, but Stand By Me Whoa. is a movie that always makes me think oh of my God. the end, you know, or like the, like a next chapter. And so having it as the last pick of this batch uh, <laughs> makes it work still, so... Yeah, stand by. Oh me. my god, I am excited. It's fucking stand by me. I I I I don't. I feel like I don't even need to tease it. It's fucking stand by me, guys. Uh, well, thank you to King Liam as always for the Hell. great intro Hell. and outro music, and see you next week as we take you along to find a dead body with us. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>